Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. You know, every field of endeavor has its venerable elder statesmen. And in the area of afterlife research, there are some very important leading lights. I so much admire a few afterlife researchers who came just before Craig Hogan and me. And like us, they were sifting through original source material that was produced around the turn of the 20th century, primarily by those who had studied the work of physical and deep trance mediums in southern England and in the northeastern United States. The communications who were received, received from those that we used to think were dead by those extraordinary mediums were really much better than any that have been received either before or since in terms of quality and frankly, sheer volume. And that was a time of optimism among those doing the studying. It was before what was then called the fundamental scientific dogma of materialism had altogether shut down the possibility that scientists would ever be allowed to study afterlife communications. And those mediums produced such wonderful material, unlike anything ever produced either before or since. Foremost among that generation of giants is our guest today. Michael Tim is with us for, for the seventh time and all the way from sunny Hawaii. And when Michael and I put our heads together about what we might discuss today, what he suggested was the difficulties of afterlife communication. My friends, this is actually a huge problem. Those that we used to think were dead are pretty much exactly where we are now. But still, afterlife communication is difficult. And, and if it weren't so difficult right now, we would have altogether banished the fear of death from the worlds. So the question is, why is it so hard? But there are some, there are some good reasons why. It all does make sense, but it's complicated. So we're going to devote some time today to talking about that. But Meanwhile, we should add that the illustrious Michael has written a treasure trove of wonderful books. They're excellent, wonderful, terrific books about the heyday of great afterlife communications. I think I've read them all, and I can recommend them all without reservation. Michael Tim's books are wonderful, and frankly, what I think is best about them is that they're scholarly, they're very carefully written, but they're also what I think of as really zippy page turners. I mean, nobody wants to read a heavy tome anymore. Everybody wants a book that you can kind of enjoy the, all the way through. And all oh, Michael's books read that way, every one of them. My favorites of his books are Resurrecting, Resurrecting Leonora Piper, Transcending the Titanic. you got to read that. I think Dead Men Talking was the one about the World War I soldiers, we'll ask him, trying to find their way home. The Articulate Dead was great, too. And Frankly, I could talk about his books even without inviting him to join us, but why don't we have him come in? Michael, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thank you very much, Roberta. I appreciate the opportunity. I'd just like to uh, qualify that I'm not a, not a researcher per se. I, I consider myself a reporter, a journalist of sorts. I majored in journalism in college and 
and um, was a part-time journalist throughout my insurance career. Um, and then after my retirement in 2002, I got back into journalism. And and so my focus has been on the, you know, as you indicated, uh, on the early research, uh, that between 1850 and 1930 or thereabout, not on the current research. So I, my, my job, as I see it, um, is to report the research, not to do the research itself. And, and as you can see, one of the best things about Michael Tammy is he's so, so humble. I mean, I think, I think that's one of the most delightful things about you, frankly, Michael. And he lives in Hawaii, too. If you can imagine being able to just spend all your time there, he's always on vacation in a way. Although you probably don't see it that way because people who no, live there. No, I mean, it, it gets old after a while. You know, <laughs> I enjoy it. And um, I, I miss traveling. I haven't traveled for several years now and, and uh, always look forward to trips to the mainland and to Europe and so forth. But um, uh, it's, it's not all that bad. <laughs> once you... Once you once you get away from the beach, there's really not that much to do. I mean, my first year here, I was, uh, you know, a day with without going to the beach wasn't a complete day. And then, you know, after about a year, it was once a week to the beach. After um, a couple of years, it was uh, once a month to the beach. And then after about three years, it was um, once a year at the beach. So now it's once a, the only time I go to the beach now is when we have visitors, which we had recently. And so... I had an opportunity to go to the beach and enjoy it then. Well, the thing about Hawaii that I remember is I had, back then, this was quite a long time ago, um, pineapple, when, when we got it, by the time we got it on, on the east coast of the United States, was sort of like eating, uh, I don't know, cardboard. And then, and then we went to Hawaii, and the, the pineapple, you, you, you drive to the field, and they would cut you a pineapple, and they would just, with this big machete they would they would cut off the top and they would cut you a slice i never had anything like that in my life it was the most delicious i, I mean i i just ate pineapple the whole time we, that we were there it was unbelievably good so well, i don't um, think you can i don't think they're growing pineapples here these days in fact i think they cost more here in hawaii than they do in california really oh my goodness. I, i'm not sure about that without i heard that uh, but you know they're, they're you know, they really cut back production of pineapples here over the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, well, this was during the Vietnam War. My husband was Vietnam. He wasn't in any real danger because he was a doctor. But um, mm. we, we, we met there when he was in the, uh, for R&R, when he was in Vietnam. And, oh, that was such a wonderful time. I remember it so well. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we, we're, this was, we're going to talk about serious stuff. And one of the things that um, people... Many times people will do this. Those they'll have a loved one who's dying, and they'll say uh, to the, the people that around the bed, they'll say, "All right, here's the key word. If you're, you know, you, you want to make sure I really survived. All right, I'm going to give you this key word, and I'm going to tell you if, if you hear me say this key word from there, you know I survived. Okay, everybody, here's the magic key word." And almost, I, I, can't, I don't know of a single instance where the person was able to give the key word. And that's one reason so many people don't believe in an afterlife. And apparently, um, Thomas Edison uh, had a key word or, or more. And you, were, you just wrote a blog post about it. Talk a little about that. 
Yeah, I just it was a TV program I happened to see about a month ago, and I, I didn't even ca- didn't catch the first part of it. So I, I think it was on the History Channel, or, you know, one, one of those channels. And it, uh, the gist of it was that um, Edison was a friend of uh, Joseph Dunninger, the, the famous mentalist of that time, and supposedly gave Dunninger ten words that he was going to try and communicate to him after his death. Um, why 10, um, not, you know, how many they were, out of the 10 they would have had to get to be successful, they didn't say. Um, but, but Dunninger was a, a skeptic, and, and indications were that um, um, that he wasn't buying any of it. But anyway, after, after Edison died in 1931, Dunninger arranged a seance with some medium. They said her name was Warner, I think. I, I didn't recognize the name at all. Um, at the top of the Empire State Building, uh, supposedly because that was closer to heaven. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, nothing, nothing happened. Um, they sat there, and they, they well, something did happen. They had got a lot of raps, a lot of noise. They, they, they didn't know what it was, uh, whether they were spirit raps or not. They don't, you know, there, there was that consideration. And who who was there besides Dunninger? They didn't say. They said that three or four other people were there, uh, but they didn't name them. So uh, we don't know what they had to say about it. But Dunninger supposedly determined later on that the raps were plumbers several floors below the floor they were on, banging on the pipes and so forth. So you know whether that was actually the case or not, nobody can, seems to have confirmed it. I mean, it may have been Dunninger's. Um, uh, way of explaining it uh, because he didn't really seem to want it to be successful. He was a, uh, a skeptic, and and all, all indications were that that he didn't expect anything. Um, he, they supposedly got one word, and that word wasn't one of the ten that um, oh, gee. <laughs> that um, Edison was trying to get through. Uh, it has something to do with the, uh, the location of his laboratory in in. Uh, Northern New York. So anyway, it was deemed a complete failure. Um, and the television commentator said that, you know, it was clear that the medium was a fraud. And um, the inference supposedly was that, that there, you know, there is no life after death and we can't communicate after death. And that's the way the program ended. Uh-huh. And so, but you wrote a blog post in which you gave some reasons why perhaps the communication didn't happen. Right, right. I, I set forth twelve possible reasons. Um, you know, the first one is that maybe it was, maybe the medium wasn't um, a real medium. Maybe Dunninger, you know, just arranged for somebody to call herself a medium and brought her in um, in hopes that uh, uh, expectations that she would prove that you know mediumship is is um is all fraud uh so that 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 was one possibility even the second one is that along that same line is that it was a prearranged failure dunninger didn't really want success he just arranged it for a fake medium and and um reported that there were plumbers below making the noise and so forth so um there's nobody that really confirmed that. Uh, there might be detailed records someplace uh, if we dig for them, but I wasn't able to find anything on the internet that um, 
related to this. Um, the, the third reason was Dunninger seems to have been very hostile towards all mediums. And one thing, you know, that, that comes out in the study of mediums is that that hostility turns off the other side. There's got to be harmony between the communicators, yes. the medium, and those present um, at the seance. And, you know, it's clear that Dunninger just wasn't wasn't expecting anything. Fourth reason was um, that Dunninger himself was supposedly a mind reader, had telepathic abilities, but he didn't see any connection between what he was doing and a spirit world or or life after death. It was just something that he had a special ability to um, do. So he might have looked at it as the so-called medium just reading his own mind if she did get a word or two. Um, the fifth one was that there was no um, sympathetic link, as they, they call it, that, that there, um, the medium may have had abilities, but she didn't have any real link to Edison. Um, to, you know, people, you know, you just can't, dial in and say, I want to talk to Babe Ruth or um, President Roosevelt or whatever. There's got to be a sympathetic link <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Uh, to the person. So, you know, that that was missing. Um, a sixth one was symbolic language. Um, it's possible that Edison, if he did get through, uh, might have communicated, you know, a few of those ten words. I don't know how many of the words he would have had to get through for Dunninger to call it a success. Uh, I, I suspect that Dunninger would have expected all all ten of them to come through. Right. Nine, it would have been a, fa been a failure. But uh, right. um, one thing that, that comes through in, in psychical research is that the word communicated by uh, the spirit might come out as a, as a synonym of sort. It's a, it's a thought image that comes through and, and the way it's interpreted by the medium uh, may not be the intent of the spirit. Um, um, it, it, I said it could be a, a synonym for that word, meaning essentially the same thing, but not the word itself. So um, and it, the seventh possible reason was that um, Edison still hadn't awakened on the other side. He was still, quote, unconscious. Um, they didn't really say how long after the um, after Edison's death that this seance took place, but indications were that it, uh, you know, was not too long after. So um, we're told that uh, it takes time for spirits to awaken to um, the reality of of the afterlife. Um, Frederick Myers, one of the early uh, psychical researchers, um, communicated with Sir Oliver Lodge uh, several months after his death, and he said it, it was all darkness at first, and he, he was floundering. He couldn't even remember his mother's name um, when he was talking to Lodge. So others okay. said the same thing. They, they don't you know necessarily remember names um, any more than they did on Earth. Uh, so that, that's another possibility. Yeah. Um, um, it, and it may be that um, 
um, well, this is a separate one, but overlaps, is that Edison had a limited memory. He couldn't, um, you know, he couldn't remember the 10 words. If you gave me, te gave me 10 words today, I, I probably forget nine of them by tomorrow. And you know, <laughs> indications right. are that, <laughs> my, you know, I, I had to change my password on my computer uh, uh, last week. And the next day I forgot what the heck it was. I mean, I've, I've had 200 <laughs> yes. passwords and I, I get variations of these passwords and, you know, thinking I'm going to remember what they are, but then I, I forget them. And I, <laughs> I think it's the same right. way in the afterlife. You just don't remember the words anymore or names any more than you do um, when you're here. So those yeah. and, you know, the, the, um, the one that I ended with um, was necessary doubt. There, there are indications that, um, you know, we're not supposed to have absolute proof um, that that having a little doubt uh, helps us in our challenges uh, here. If we knew for, for certain, 100 percent certainty that uh, we're going to live on after death, we might our, our free will decisions might be different than they would as long as we have that little doubt. So it may be that Edison realized this and and um, therefore saw no need to. Um, you know, communicate. Did he ever communicate with anyone? Uh, I understand he did communicate with the skull. In fact, somebody left a comment uh, yesterday, and I haven't had time to check it out, with the, the skull um, researchers in England during the late 1990s that he did communicate with them. And I was going to look that up and see what he did say, but uh, I haven't had time to do that yet. I, I, it seems to me that, that there are tremendous barriers to communication. It's kind of a wonder that we get any communications at all. It, it, circumstances have to be exactly right. I think the main thing is the, is the uh, sort of close spiritual connection we have with our relatives. And when people try to communicate with a famous individual, um, it's just, it's just very difficult that there's just no way around it. Um, right. And that, you know, many people want to communicate with him. Link. Yeah. yeah that, that there has to be that, that, uh, that's that be, even being able to find someone who, who has been um, a famous person is very difficult. Definitely. Um, there's no way and, to find you know, them. I, uh, you know, I, I really put down four, four separate, uh, uh, issues in this regard. That, you know, the first one being harmony. Um, we're constantly told that you know there has to be that harmony. Uh, that, that's why they sing, they say prayers, and they wait around. Uh, Hamlin Garland was one of the early researchers, and he uh, details this more than anybody else. He said there, there were times when he waited for three hours before you know they'd sing, they'd wait, they'd talk. Nothing happened, and then about three hours later, all of a sudden, something started to happen. But wow. by that time, pe pe people had given up. I mean, mo the average researcher wouldn't sit around for three hours if nothing happened in um, the first 15 minutes, and then it, it figured it's all, you know, fraudulent and time to leave. And I, I, yeah. I have to confess, you know, the, I bought a Ouija board one time about 20 years ago, and and. Um, Played around with it for about 15 minutes and nothing happened. And I haven't, I haven't <laughs> taken the Ouija board out again since then. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say you don't have a lot of patience. My goodness. <laughs> no, um, I, I've always been leery of them because I've heard stories. Um, as, as I imagine, you must have too. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I think, you know, there are reports of, of, of good information coming through Ouija boards if you have the right attitude and you're you're alert to the possibility that there, there could be uh, uh, a devious earthbound spirit on the other side. Um, if you're if you're ready for that and and skeptical in that regard, you know it it might work. I mean, um, Geraldine Cummins, one of the most famous automatic writing mediums, started with the Ouija board and. Hester Dowden, who was actually Geraldine's uh, teacher, wrote a couple of books about everything she got from the Ouija board, and it was, you know, pretty, pretty interesting and and credible. Does it take two people? I, I'm not really very familiar with them. Um, or can you do it alone? No, I think you can do it alone. I, I just haven't paid that much attention to it. I mean, I just. Did that on a whim, like I say, about 20 <laughs> years ago, and and uh, I, I I haven't been very successful in in any of my efforts. Um, I, I, as we've discussed on prior um, interviews, I had one one very good um, uh, reading with a clairvoyant in England, um, 1999, I think it was. But the other ones were very general and and um not too meaningful for me but my, my feeling thing is thing. I, I i've never felt the need to communicate with any of my deceased relatives and i think that's part of it i mean i i haven't grieved that much and i feel guilty because i haven't grieved i mean my my parents my <laughs> you brother, know where uh, they are so <laughs> yeah yeah i don't grieve either i'm real happy for them yeah. I said that to my mother when she was about to go. I said, lucky you, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> she thought I was crazy because she was terrified to die. I was trying to cheer her mm. up. I mean, what a, what, what it's, I feel bad for people who are afraid to die. It's not the right attitude to have. It's like, you're, this is my, home, my going home day. This is exciting. Right. She didn't feel that way, though. I yeah, read that's the way yeah the way it was with my mother I mean she had dementia for the last seven years so when she find you know I um she died in my I, I she was in a rest home um in Berkeley California and I uh went down at Thanksgiving time to bring her up to my home in Oregon uh, where I was living at the time and, and it was time to take her back and we had her up on the second floor and, and she had a wheelchair so I had to carry her downstairs and as, as I started walking downstairs, uh, take her out to the car, her head just went back and, and you know, her eyes rolled back in her head and that was it. I think she just decided that, you know, that was a good time to go. And, good time. And I, you know, yeah. I, I feel guilty that I didn't, you know, it didn't bother me more than it did. I did even cry. My mother was, my mother was, she had lost all her activities of daily living. And I just, I just was saying, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, mom, just let go. But she was so afraid to die. I read The Fun mm-hmm. of Dying to her, and she, she just she couldn't go. And then finally, she had to go in her sleep. She held on too much when she was awake. She couldn't leave that way. Mm-hmm. And the first thing she said to me when I finally contacted her through a medium was, you were right about everything. 
thanks, Mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, but she was still traveling around checking the details to make sure I hadn't made any mistakes. Talk about mm-hmm. a mother, mm-hmm. golly, that's what mothers do. Right, right. But but another area here that you know besides the harmony, I think is the frequency involved in, in communication. We're told by various spirits, credible spirits, supposedly that the more advanced the spirit, the more difficult difficult it is for that spirit to communicate. It's the the lower spirits, um, at least initially, if they're lower before they you know it seems like there's an awakening period that they can communicate better than than later on but if they're really enlightened spirits or advanced spirits they are you know they're at too high a frequency to yeah to um communicate with us uh, the problem yeah they have to relay messages through um lower level spirits and then there's mikey morgan who is sixth level and he deliberately took that lifetime just so he could communicate through his mom and the only way that they could work it out was with a pendulum, which is another thing which apparently is is a bad idea. You can call in all kinds of negative entities right. with those. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And in one time, it, she, he trained her to always say, you know, Mikey, Mikey, only my son, Mikey. One day she forgot to do that. And she got who knew what kind of odd being it suddenly was doing all kinds of weird things with the pendulum. And he had to show up and say, Mom, you're supposed to call for me first. And he got rid of whatever was the other being that was playing with the with the pendulum. Mm-hmm. So, so people have to be people listening have to be careful when you when you try to use. I've heard from people since who have watched the video. There, there's a there's a there's a video on um, secretreality.com about uh, uh, you know with Mikey of, of Carolyn Mikey communicating and people try it at home. And um, if if you try it, that's great. But you've got to call for your specific loved one very, very carefully and firmly. Because if you right. don't, if you just say, hey, anybody who wants to come, I want to chat with whoever. You, you don't know who you're going to get. And it can be very hard to get rid of them once they home in on you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, you have to only call for your for your own loved ones. Right. So, so how else can people, other than with 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 physical media, I mean, um, uh, mental mediums, how else can people communicate? I guess I don't really know. I don't even think about it because I have no interest, as you say, you don't either, in talking to my own loved ones. I know they're having too much fun anyway. They don't want to come and talk to boring old me. Yeah, well, I, you know, there are different types of mediumship, as you know. I mean, automatic writing is considered. Um... Right, you know, one form of mediumship, and there's direct voice mediumship. I mean, right today, today's clairvoyance is about all we hear about, and the average person today would think that, you know, that clairvoyance is is the only form of mediumship, the kind we see on TV with um, uh, John Edward. I don't know, even know who's on today, if anybody, uh, the <laughs> Long Island medium, and so forth. It's um, right, you know, clairvoyance only, and then that that that's quite different from the old transmediumship, the direct voice mediumship, yes. uh, automatic writing and so forth. We just, I think that some of that is still going on today, but it's not as um, um, frequent as it was a um, hundred or so years ago. And the reason is that as um, uh, 
uh, Reverend Satan Moses, who was an Anglican priest, is what was one of the more uh, well-known mediums of that uh, era from you know the late 1800s. He was told by his spirit guides that they were giving up uh, and trying to communicate because people were, weren't accepting it and there was too much interference by um, earthbound spirits um, that people were accepting what the earthbound spirits had to say. So there, there apparently is a reason for warnings in the Bible, to, you know, to say that, you know, beware of... of um, Speaking with the dead and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I think we talked about this before. The, the word dead to, in the Bible, where it sa- says, uh, you know, don't speak with the dead or the dead know nothing, referred to spiritually dead, meaning yes. low level spirits or earthbound spirits who weren't conscious enough to know what the heck they were talking about. Yeah, but, you know, exactly. The religions have interpreted that word dead to mean all dead, not just the spiritually yeah. dead. Right. Well, you know, Craig Hogan has, um, who's my partner in SeekReality.com, has had a um, a home circle going for I I don't know a decade and a half or something, and he has developed some very good physical mediums um, and trance mediums. But no, no, I don't think there are any that perform for the public really. Not anymore. Very few, if any, um, and that's unfortunate because the ones. During the heyday, which was more than 100 years ago, 120 years ago, maybe, uh, there were some wonderful phenomena that they were able to produce. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. Yeah, we still hear of it here, you know, here and there. But as you said, the the, uh, mediums, they realize that, you know, if they bring researchers in or scientists, that it's, you know, there's some of it that's just not going to, you know, they're not going to understand. And no, that's what happened, no. you know, in, you know, why psychical research turned into parapsychology during the 1930s. There was a lot going on with the mediums, Marjorie, George Valentine, uh, uh, Rudy Schneider, and so forth. I, I, I'm convinced that all three of those were legitimate mediums, but the, and they, they all had scientists uh, sitting with them, including Dr. Ryan, who was one of the founders of uh, parapsychology, who just didn't understand what was going on. They they refused to believe that spirits were involved, so they wrote it all off as fraud. And uh, parapsychology replaced psychical research because, uh, well, parapsychology had nothing to do with spirits or life after death. They just focused on ESP and sigh, and that's the way it still is. Parapsychology tries to avoid any discussion of life after death or or a spirit world. Which is so unfortunate, and that's why we or we came out with our, our um, website, which is already making waves, which we're very excited about. But let's talk about you. I understand that you, you won um, a prize. Talk about that. Oh, the the Bigelow contest. That was an yeah. essay contest that um, Robert Bigelow, who was an aeronautical uh, space entrepreneur, and uh, is um, uh, lo- he's located in Vegas. He sponsored a contest with uh, five hundred thousand dollars going to the winner, and I think two hundred fifty thousand to second, and I don't know one hundred twenty-five thousand to third, and then there were. The next uh, 10, 50,000 each. So I, I was one of the $50,000 winners for my um, my essay, which was a 
simulated court trial um, between the survival school and the school of materialism. I, what, what I had in my simulated trial was the survival school doing the um, material, the, the school of materialism for having caused so much despair and lack of hope and so forth oh, through yeah. their 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 uh, malfeasance and misfeasance and so forth. And what I did is I called eleven witnesses. Uh, I would have called more, except there's a twenty-five thousand word limit to the essay. But my my witnesses were all the early pioneers, uh, starting with Judge Edmonds, John Edmonds, who was probably the first psychical researcher during the 1850s. And I called um, Robert Hare, uh, Sir Oliver Lodge. And what, what I did is I used their actual words from their books, their reports as their testimony. I, I would, you know, my, my, the attorney representing the uh, plaintiff in this case was Edward Randall, who was a famous Buffalo attorney that uh, was involved in psychical research with uh, Emily French of, um, of Rochester, New York, I think it was. Anyway, he he would put the questions to the 11 witnesses and 11 witnesses, the answers to their questions were their actual words. And, and um, so I, I try to make a case that from the testimony of those 11 witnesses uh, from Judge Edmonds, Alpha Russell Wallace, Sir William Crooks, uh, Dr. Richard Hodgson, Sir Oliver Lodge, and several others that, you know, how they all started out as skeptics and came to believe that, you know, what they were witnessing was genuine and, and uh, that it all pointed to um, uh, consciousness surviving death. And um, I guess uh, the judges uh, saw it as good enough for a fifty thousand dollar prize but not a five hundred thousand dollar one good for you that's <laughs> that's great but i see that they they backed off in the end and they they just what became another consciousness institute which is too bad because um 80 percent 80 to 90 percent actually is the statistic of people in the world still don't believe in the survival of death which is crazy that's like that's really a, a, a statistic which is frankly it's one of the main reasons why finally craig hogan and i started our website because that's stupid i mean that's like not believing that the sun is going to shine the evidence is ev is every bit as strong for the survival of death as it is for any scientific principle that is accepted as fact any scientific principle that is accepted as fact. I don't care what you name. That's how strong the evidence is. It's just that science will not look at it. So we're looking at it and we're presenting it. And that's what we do. And um, what I love is that there it's already getting noticed. So we're going to do what we can to get a lot more notice. But now, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's getting as much notice as it should. I mean, I, over, over the, 25 years or so that I've been involved, I, I just don't see that much um, uh, or that many people. You know, I, I do see it on the Internet to some extent, but um, I go to I, I, I'm 85 now. So I've had a lot of friends and and relatives pass on in the past year. And I, I attend funerals and attempt to talk to people about it. But nobody wants to talk about it. You know, and, and those who belong to a religion, it's you know, it's still still the you know the the humdrum heaven and horrific hell <laughs> you know they don't yep. they don't want to 
uh, you know, talk about it. I, I have a, um, a relative now who is uh, grieving the loss of his wife and also undergoing cancer treatment. And, and I've tried to, you know, get him to read a few things and he just, he resists it. You know, he'd rather, um, you know, watch football games or whatever. I think it's really tragic. Um, a lot of people are, are terrified. And what Craig and I decided is, uh, yeah, we, we could very well do the same thing. I mean, we know for certain where we're going and we're delighted about it, but we, we just cannot close our eyes for the last time without at least trying to help people understand the glory that awaits them. Um, it would be wrong, morally wrong for us to keep it to ourselves anymore. And that's why we right. decided to share it with the world, which is what you're doing, too, with your wonderful books. Um, everyone, Michael, Tim, T-Y-M-N, there's an N at the end. Anything he wrote, you can trust. Is it, Not only is it flawless, but it's fun to read. His books aren't too long and they're not too scholarly. They're fun to read and they're true. So I just can recommend his books without reservation. Um now, people can contact you through White Crow Books. Is that it? Right, White Crow Books, which is Do in you know England. Their, but, uh, their you website? Just, uh, that, that's it, whitecrowbooks.com. That's it. If you just okay. put White Crow Books uh, into a internet search, it'll bring up, um, you know, they have, um, oh, I, I don't know, almost 100 books, I think, that's been published by White Crow, yeah. including my seven of mine. But um, Yeah. Yeah, they're they're really excellent. They're based in Great Britain. They're really good, mm. and uh, very um, very very scholarly too. But no, I I just uh, I just think your books are wonderful because they're, as I say, they're 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 scholarly and they're they're flawless in terms of quality. But they also are fun to read. Nowadays, people just don't want to sit down with anything heavy. They they want to read what's fun to read. And yeah. now one more yeah. thing you were talking to me about. Yeah, you were talking you were talking about how how running is related to explain that related to life after death. I just got lost in that one, Michael. Tell me. Yeah, well, uh, no, a lot uh, there are a lot of analogies, but you know, what I was I started out uh, as I mentioned I, I was in the insurance business even though I I majored in journalism. However, I had a part-time job with a local newspaper covering running, swimming, bicycling, triathlons, and so forth. Uh, so that was sort of my weekend job, and I did that for 24 years. Um, and then I got to writing for some national running magazines. And almost all my writing before I retired in uh, 2002 was was about running. And, um, you know, I began to see a lot of um, uh, analogies in, in running and um Dying, and it, it, I, I think the best example is the mile run. I mean, the mile run can be divided into four parts. So you've got uh, the first lap, which is youth, second lap, which is young adulthood, the third lap, which is middle age, and the fourth lap is old age. And if you, you know, you know, really take a close look at it, you see how the runner um, – progresses or regresses along the way till till the final hundred yards when he's weary. I had a quote here from um, Roger Bannett. Roger Bannister was the first person to run a four minute mile. And I had it someplace on my desk here that I was going to quote it. But 
Can't seem to wait. Here it is. Um, he says, uh, Roger Bannister said, the, the, the faint line of the finish line stood ahead as a haven of peace after the struggle. And he, as he took a leap at the finish line, it was like a man taking his last spring to save himself from the ch ch chasm of threatening, threatening to engulf him. So, you know, when, once you finish, I mean, there's that last 20 or 30 yards when you run out of oxygen and you're just striving for the finish line and your legs are ready to collapse, your heart's ready to give out. And then, you know, there's, there's some pain. There's, you know, trying to catch your breath for a few minutes if you're well-conditioned. If you're not a well-conditioned runner, it may take much longer than a few minutes. But then there's an elation that comes after that recovery from that, from, you know, after the few minutes. And I think that elation is what we experience after we've died. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. We were, we're exhausted at the finish line of death. And, and then, you know, there's, there's uh, some uh, recovery time, some awakening time required uh, right after the finish line. And then, then it's, um, um, you know, more, um, there's relief, there's awakening, uh, depending on how advanced the person is, you know, how, what, in what condition the person was in the first place. I mean, if the person was not in very good condition, it's going to take a long time to recover, but the well-conditioned athlete, he's back, uh, you know, after two or three minutes breathing normally. And I think that's, that's an analogy that can be carried over to the afterlife. If, if we've that's lived a good life, right. uh, you know, and uh, we recover quickly and, if we haven't, uh, if we're like the the, the uh, runner that uh, shouldn't be out there competing, um, then it's going to take a much longer time to to awaken. That's right. And and people who have been very sick or uh, right have have they, they they will go to a care home actually after death. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. That's why we typically recommend that you not attempt to contact. Uh, your loved one who has died, especially if they have been um, ill and before their death or had Alzheimer's or something, because they're going to be in a care home um, and, and be recovering for six months sometimes. Uh, and then after that, they'll be much better. And just like that, that uh, athlete who needed more time to recover after, after crossing the finish line. Good, good analogy. That's very good. Analogy, yeah, yeah. Michael. Mm -hmm. So, what, what do you want people to to take away from today? Just, just you know, give it time, give it patience, and understand it's not that easy to communicate from the other side. That's just the way it is. Yeah, well, I, I think it's something that that comes over time that you have to just keep seeking and reading and listening or whatever. I, it took me about. Uh, 10 years before I really began to understand uh, um, mediumship. Uh, I, I, I think I started around 1995. I started earlier than that on near-death experiences and other phenomena, but uh, 1995 to 1999, I read about it and it just didn't make sense. And one of the problems was that, you know, these scholars, uh, James Hislop and Sir Oliver Lodge and Hodgson and so forth, they, you know, they could go three pages with one paragraph, and and <laughs> yeah. you know, it took a long time to figure out what they were saying, and that that's why I I decided you know at being trained as a reporter to short paragraphs and get to the point first of all you know 
you could read it yep. in his lap and go three page. You know, what the heck is he saying? Finally, at the last paragraph, you realize what he said, but then you've got to go back and reread it to, to um, really totally understand it. So what I, you know, my, my intention in the first place was to try and simplify everything they had to say and put it in layman's language so that it wouldn't be so difficult to understand. And uh, I think I've succeeded to some extent, at least by some of the comments, the book reviews and so forth that I've seen on um, at Amazon.com and other places. Um, so that that's that's the the main message I think is to is you know don't don't give up on it uh, right away. You know, read as much as you can and as many authors or writers as you can and expect it to take time to really understand. I don't understand it completely. Now, I mean, after 25 or 30 years of writing about it, I still have a lot of questions, but I've got a, uh, at least a picture. It's a very abstract picture of, of it, but I'm, I'm, um, I've moved from blind faith to faith and not a conviction. I, I, as I've said before, I'm 98.8% convinced that there's an afterlife. I just don't think I could ever be 100%. You're so uh, stubborn. Listen <laughs> to you. <laughs> you really I are. Beyond, yep. beyond a reasonable, you know, I'm, I'm at the beyond a reasonable doubt uh, stage, but, you know, as far as absolute certainty, uh, I think that 1.2% 1, 1. doubt <laughs> is, a good, is a good thing, as I said before. You know, I don't think we're supposed to know... You know, maybe individuals are supposed to know with 100%, but I think the the general population, uh, you know, that little doubt is is good. Problem is that most people, it's much more than 1.2%. Oh yeah, most more like 80 percent really, really. or so. Well, what we've learned is that it takes if people really put their mind to it, it takes about two years. And that's what we're telling people on SeekReality.com. If you put your mind to it, you can be certain in about two years. And mm -hmm. um, we're, we're, we're trying to make that happen for a lot of people now. Um, but we, you know, we'll see what we can do. You are such a delight to interview. We're going to do this again. Um, <laughs> but, but meanwhile, consider yourself hugged all the way to Hawaii. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your interest. And and as I say, just Michael Tim, anything he wrote, uh, you just go to Amazon. Anything he wrote, you're going to find is wonderful, and will it will help you. You will you will get to 100 percent, even though Michael isn't quite there yet. But meanwhile, we've we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you were with us today. But please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Craig Weiler, who will be with us for the third time. Craig is a parapsychology journalist, speaker, and host of the popular blog, The Weiler Psy, which is on the science of parapsychology, skepticism, and the psychics. He's a graduate of UC Berkeley, and he runs a small, successful construction business. He began his spiritual path during the New Age movement, which we all remember, teaching and practicing psychic healing. And he doesn't follow any particular teachings, he says, but he explores a very westernized mix of science and spirituality. 
and he's on the social media site Quora, where he answers questions on a wide range of topics and administers the parapsychology space with over 13,000 followers. And he tells me he has reached some kind of breakthrough, and he wants to discuss it with us next week, so you can't miss that. And this week, we've been talking with the wonderful Michael Tim, who has been with us for the seventh time. Michael, as you have heard, he's a very modest man, but he's a he's really respected in this field, in the field of information about the not actually dead. And his books are extraordinary. They're really must reads. So go to Amazon and just read, read through all of them. I've read them all. And my dear friend, it's time to mention gloriously that Seek Reality Online is your source. Seekreality.com is your source for all things afterlife. And the Afterlife Research and Education Institute is Seek Reality Online's wonderful nonprofit cousin. Just join us, please. Craig, Craig Hogan and I are the, are the people who are basically giving the rest of our lives to helping you learn the truth so you will never, ever be afraid to die again. Death, frankly, is the start of a whole new life for you. Your life really is eternal. As you know, my own nonfiction books are liberating Jesus, my Thomas, the fun of dying, the fun of staying in touch, the fun of growing forever, the fun of living together, and soon now, the fun of loving Jesus, embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus. You can order all my books through, actually through the website now, and or through um, Amazon, and through basically wherever books are sold, the adult books are also available as audiobooks. If you want to talk about anything at all, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. It can take a while, maybe a week, to get a response at this point because I do get a lot of emails. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net and just about wherever, where anywhere you can find podcasts. There's also a Seek Reality app you can find for free just about anywhere you could find free apps. And meanwhile, dears, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in your one reality, which we share, which we all share. This reality is where you in particular are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the whole universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. Everything.